welcome back, everybody, to the Strange Matters Podcast, where we discuss anything just outside the norm, ranging from the bizarre and unexplained to the supernatural and paranormal and everything in between. I'm your host for this episode, and my name is Eric. And today, we're going to be going way back, back far enough into the ancient times. We're going to be discussing Ancient Mysteries number two. And this will be the long-awaited sequel to the original Ancient Mysteries that got Strange Matters podcast off to such a roaring start. Or at least that's what I'm going to claim because if I remember correctly, that episode was my idea. And as you might expect, I'm going to be going through a list of some of the most interesting mysteries that originated prior to the 1900s. So some will go back as far as Ancient Egypt, all the way forward to the late 1800s. So the first ancient mystery that remains unsolved to this day is none other than that of the Screaming Mummy. Now in June of 1886, a man by the name of Gaston Maspero, who was head of the Egyptian Antiquities Service, was sinking his teeth into a recent gold mine of deceased mummies that had been discovered a short period earlier in a tomb not too far away from the Valley of the Kings. And it's known as Deir el-Bari, which means the Northern Monastery. And this eerie monastery lies in the great Theban necropolis, which dates back as early as the 11th dynasty. So, like a child in a candy shop, Maspero eagerly, yet professionally, was unwrapping these mummies of 40 to 50 Egyptian pharaohs and queens who were now deceased. Among these rulers were the remains of some of the most famous Egyptian rulers of the time, including Ramses the Great, Seti I, Tuthmosis III, and even Mentuhotep II, who was the famous first pharaoh of the Middle Kingdom. However, there was one coffin that seemed to stand out from the others. It was plain and undecorated and had no clues as to whom was inside. Maspero, unimpeded by this unsuspecting conundrum, voraciously opened the coffin and was immediately stricken with shock. To his horror, there, lying before him, was the body of a deceased young man whose face was eternally locked in a gut-wrenching, blood-curdling scream. It was a complete anomaly. No other mummies had ever been found in such a state. And this discovery, while horrifying in every sense, raised some very thought-provoking questions. The face of this young man would make one think that he died in some sort of state of agony, as he was either tortured or suffocated. Regardless, he was in an unbelievable amount of pain. His arms and legs had been bound so tightly that there were marks left on his bones. Despite all this apparent torment, the body had been carefully mummified and preserved. So what exactly was the actual cause of death? The body had been wrapped in the skin of a sheep or a goat. To the ancient Egyptians, this was a ritualistically unclean material. This might imply that the young man had intentionally been buried in a manner that would disgrace him, even in the afterlife. So what had this man done to deserve such treatment? Finally, he had been buried in the company of some of the greatest rulers of the era. Kings and queens and vast buried treasure surrounded him. 
However, the screaming mummy's sarcophagus was unmarked and plain. There were no markings to indicate the identity of this individual. Ancient Egyptians believed that one's identity was the key to being accepted into the afterlife. Without any sort of inscription, aside from the title Man-E in lieu of a real name, he would be kept from entering into the afterlife. So why would he be buried among such celebrities when he was apparently being punished? As you can see, this finding raised a lot of unanswered questions. Later that year, a poorly done autopsy would be performed on the remains. However, this procedure would fail to shed any light on the mystery. One of the physicians who assisted in performing the autopsy suspected that, based on the contracted shape of the stomach, the boy had been poisoned. The physician by the name of Daniel Fouquet would later write in his report, The last convulsions of horrid agony can, after a thousand years, still be seen. However, no one was able to confirm why. Some believe that this sort of situation would have to involve two separate parties, one responsible for the individual's agonizing death, and the other for his careful preservation. There exist many speculative theories as to the identity of this tortured soul, and what exactly his awful fate consisted of. Theories ranging from cold-blooded murder, to suffocation, to poisoning. Some of the potential identities that we'll be discussing include the traitor son of Ramses III. Some people think maybe an Egyptian governor who had died abroad and been returned to his homeland for burial. Others believe that he was a member of a rival Hittite dynasty who had died on Egyptian soil. We'll discuss all of these in further detail. So until recent times, the identity of this individual was thought to be lost to the sands of time. However, modern technology, including CT scanning techniques, x-ray and digital facial reconstructive software, have been able to shed some light on this mystery. This sophisticated technology has led researchers to believe that Man E was actually the notorious Prince Pentaware, the oldest son of Ramses III, who lived from 1185 to 1153 BC. This traitor prince had joined forces with his mother Tai and devised a sadistic plan to assassinate the pharaoh and take over the throne, as the fate of one day becoming pharaoh was not originally planned for this young lad. Unfortunately for these two rebels, as the scrolls suggest, the plot was quickly uncovered and the two were sentenced to death. However, the young prince was spared being killed and was given the option of committing suicide, a fate that he would have undoubtedly selected, most historians believe. The thought is that he completed this task by consuming poison. Also, the facial reconstructive software would paint a picture of an elegant individual with a strong and handsome jawbone, which would correlate more with someone of the Egyptian race. However, there were still many details suggesting that these remains did not belong to Prince Pentaware, and that they were not even Egyptian at all. Experts agree that the body was mummified with its internal organs intact, a practice that was exceedingly unusual 
even for traders at that time. This would suggest that the process had not been completed by Egyptians, but perhaps by some outside race. This leads us back to the Hittite theory. This theory comes from a letter written by the wife of Pharaoh Tutankhamun. She was the widow known as Ankesinamun. In this letter, the widow appealed to the king of the Hittites that he would allow her to marry one of his princes, which would cause her to retain her power. It's thought that Man E was this Hittite prince that traveled to Egypt to meet his future bride, however he was met with a cruel fate. We know from the royal archives of the Hittite Empire, found a century ago at Bogazkoi in central Turkey, that a prince was sent to Egypt to marry Tutankhamun's widow, but he was murdered on the border of Egypt. Some believe that this is why he, a foreigner, was buried in sheepskin. As evidence, they point to the Egyptian papyrus known as Tale of Sinehe. In it, the pharaoh tries to convince Sinehe, a former friend and confidant who had been living abroad, to return to Egypt. The king says, You shall not die in a foreign land. You shall not be placed in a sheepskin as they make your grave. Originally believed by Maspero to be in his early 20s, DNA examination of the bones and teeth would lead modern researchers to believe that he was actually more of a man as he could have been somewhere as old as his mid-40s. And this would be more consistent with him being Ramses III's son. Whatever the case may be, one thing is for sure, and that is that this individual did not have a pretty death. And if the Egyptian's take on the afterlife turns out to be true, this man will not be there, that's for sure. So what are your thoughts on this screaming mummy? Is he a Hittite prince or jealous son of King Ramses? Let's move on to our next topic of the night, and this is one that occurred in the 1800s. It's known as Satan's Hoofprints. In February of 1855, people in towns across southern Devon, located in England, awoke early one cold wintry morning to find a single line of hoof-like marks in the fresh-fallen snow. However, these were not your ordinary hoof prints. They mostly measured around 4 inches long, 3 inches across, and between 8 and 16 inches apart. According to contemporary reports, this line of strange footprints stretched for over a hundred miles and seemed to pass directly through stone walls and stacks of hay, seemingly unimpeded as if there was no barrier at all, or rather as if the creature that had left the footprints had passed directly through these barriers. A local news report is quoted as having said, It appears on Thursday night last there was a very heavy snowfall in the neighborhood of Exeter and the south of Devon. On the following morning, the inhabitants of the towns were surprised at discovering the footmarks of some strange and mysterious animal, endowed with the power of ubiquity, as the footprints were to be seen in all kinds of uncountable places, on the tops of houses and narrow walls, in gardens and courtyards, enclosed by high walls and palings, as well in open fields. The early morning risers were the first individuals to come upon this mysterious phenomenon. These strange hoof-shaped prints would carry on in a straight line, passing through walls, 
over rooftops, and spanning great distances. There were also rumors that the footprints stretched across a two-mile-wide portion of the River X, and then continued on the other side, as if the creature, or creatures, that created them had simply walked across the water. Despite the fact that some of these claims were likely greatly exaggerated, the fact remains that they have still to this day never been fully explained. While some attribute these footprints to the devil himself, or some other dark and mystical creature, others took a more scientific approach. One such individual took the time to sketch a few of the footprints and even took measurements. They were precisely 8.5 inches between the footprints, which was consistent no matter where the footprints were found. Also, the pattern would suggest that they were left by a two-legged creature as opposed to a quadruped, like a deer. Not to mention, these prints were in a single-file line, one in front of the other. Some reported the footprints ending for a significant amount of space and then spontaneously continuing as if the beast had evaporated or walked through a portal and then reemerged. Others claim that the footprints would travel through very narrow spaces like drain pipes and even more countered walls, some as high as 14 feet, that had either been easily scaled or simply passed through. Some of the less rational approaches came from none other than the clergyman who suggested that these tracks belonged to Satan himself and that he was roaming the countryside looking for sinners so that he might collect their souls. Unfortunately, this was likely more of a ploy to bolster their church attendance and therefore their collections. Regardless of whatever the truth may be, a great sense of uneasiness spread across the region as they watched eagerly to see if the footprints would return in the near future. This story rose to make headlines rather quickly, and as the word spread, more and more would come forth with their own experience with these footprints. Yet others would come out of the woodwork in an attempt to rationalize these bizarre findings. This led to a significant amount of speculation However, no hard facts and no further explanation would ever come about. It's commonly accepted that these findings were not consistent with any regular animal or human, as none of these would be able to cover such a massive distance in a single night. Attempted explanations ranged from a kangaroo that had escaped a nearby zoo to badgers and hopping mice to even a balloon trailing a horseshoe-shaped grappling rope. Unfortunately, the tracks bore no similarities to those that would be produced by your average kangaroo, badger, or mouse. Some blamed them on other animals such as raccoons, rats, and otters. Superstitious people preferred to believe they were the work of the devil himself. In its summary of the popular theories of the time, a writer in the Illustrated London News said no satisfactory solution had been found, and no known animal could have traversed this extent of country in one night. Neither does any known animal walk in a line of single footprints, not even a man. It's commonly thought that the footprints were more the result of mass hysteria. Once word broke of the footprints of Satan himself having set hoof in the town of Devon, 
People in the surrounding areas became fearful and mistook any sort of animal footprints as a blind assumption for being that of Lucifer. No one has seen these devil footprints for nearly 150 years. When suddenly, one morning, the mystery came back to rear its ugly head. In 2009, a woman in Devon awoke one morning to discover these same types of footprints dotting across her garden out back. They were almost identical to those that were described in 1855, described as clove-shaped footprints, most likely left by a bipedal being. The perturbed 76-year-old Jill Wade escalated the concerns, and pretty soon scientists from the Center for Fortean Zoology were inspecting these prints, which measured 5 inches long, with a stride of between 11 and 17 inches. An unbeliever in the paranormal by the name of Jonathan Downs, who just so happens to be the head of the center, skeptically states, Thousands of people across the world believe in the paranormal, but so far every single thing we have looked into has turned out to have a natural explanation. I'm sure this will as well. Well, way to ruin the basis for 50% of our podcast, but whatever, we'll just roll with it and keep selling everyone these lies. So despite his somewhat boring and rational approach to this yet unexplained occurrence, he raises some good points when he says that there are some things that science is not yet able to explain. However, human knowledge is limited and expanding all the time. It's only natural for human beings to try to take the things they cannot explain scientifically and explain them through some sort of supernatural mechanism. Despite many speculations and those who claim to know just what left the footprints, there's still no explanation for this occurrence. However, perhaps one day there will be. Now let's move on to our final mystery of the night. We'll step forward in time just a couple years and discuss the mysterious case of James Byrne Worson. James Byrne Worson was a well-established shoemaker by trade. He lived in Leamington, Warwickshire, England. Locals considered Warson to be an honest, hard-working individual who, like many people of the day, liked to drink his fair share of booze. Not only did he like to drink, but whenever he found himself under the influence, he would frequently engage in near-impossible wagers. On September 3, 1873, Warson found himself in the bars again drinking, and boasting of his physical prowess, specifically his abilities as a distance runner. Naturally, this boastfulness led him into yet another wager, in which he was obligated to run from his present location all the way to Coventry and back, a total round-trip distance of nearly 40 miles. So he set out on this journey, accompanied by two other individuals by the names of Barham Wise and Hammerson Burns who would vouch for his completion of the journey by following him in a carriage and photographing much of the trip. So they set off on their journey to Coventry. For several miles, Worson displayed his self-proclaimed abilities quite impressively as he clipped along at a rapid, effortless pace. His accomplices followed him in the carriage, shouting the occasional words of encouragement, and Worson would frequently look back and engage in a brief exchange before turning forward again and focusing on the task at hand. Then, suddenly, 
without any sort of warning, as Worson ran, and with his two counterparts' eyes fully upon him, he stumbled and seemed to fall forward, then uttered an ear-shattering scream and instantly disappeared. He was falling, however he never impacted the ground because he had completely vanished before reaching it. Now needless to say, his followers were completely shocked and stopped to investigate, however no trace of the man was ever seen again. They stayed around the area searching in vain for several hours. It seems to me like that feeling when you're searching for your keys, but secretly know deep down that you threw them in the garbage yesterday on accident, never to be seen again. You're searching, but you know there's no hope. Eventually, the men went back to the bar to tell their tale and were shortly thereafter taken into custody, naturally. However, the men had good public standing, were otherwise considered to be truthful, and were at the time not under the influence of any alcohol, so essentially there was no reason to assume that the men were engaged in some sort of nefarious business that could have led to the man's disappearance, or that they were in cahoots with Warson in any attempt to somehow benefit from this unlikely tale. And they were eventually released, however they stuck to their story, and the UK was subsequently divided on what actually occurred that day. So let's start by dissecting the actual event. The men, according to their story, were a good distance behind Worsham, so on an open trail, it would seem unlikely for them to be mistaken to the degree that Worsham had actually fallen into a hole or fallen over into the ditch. Assuming they are telling the truth about what they saw, this would be unlikely, especially given that they stayed and searched for such a long time. And if we are to assume that they were both indeed staring directly at him, then there's little room for error here. Now it seems important to me to note that Worsham did not simply vanish into thin air. Rather, there was a series of events that took place that triggered his disappearance. He stumbled, first, as if he were going to fall full force and slam into the ground. Then he let out a shrill scream that was described as something bothersome to an individual of good conscience. Also, as if he were experiencing a sudden extreme pain that was unrelated to the initial trip. Then finally, after a moment of suspension in air, he vanished. Question is, had this chain of events not been initiated, would he really still have disappeared. Some people attribute this disappearance to Worsham stumbling upon some sort of interdimensional portal, while others have gone on to describe the occurrence of brief spontaneous electromagnetic fields that pop up all over the world and have the ability to disintegrate any sort of matter, including humans. Others consider teleportation to be a possibility, there have been numerous stories of people vanishing all over the world, only to reemerge somewhere else. Perhaps he was not only teleported to another place on the planet, but rather was teleported to another time, or even another region of space. Who knows? As it turns out, however, this whole story was actually a tale known as The Unfinished Race. And it's actually a short story written by the famed satirist Ambrose Bierce. Upon hearing this, most people are willing to chalk this up to nothing more than a mere tale. However, just because it was written by a famous writer does not necessarily make the story untrue. 
that's it for this episode of the Strange Matters podcast. If you'd like to send feedback or your suggestions for a next episode, please send them to strangematterspodcast at gmail.com. If you're listening to us on iTunes, be sure to give us a rating and write a review. It helps us to promote the podcast and helps us to take it in the direction that our listeners want. Also, Strange Matters is part of the Dark Myths Collective, so if you're interested in similar podcasts ranging from science fiction to history and the paranormal, be sure to check out the Dark Myths. Until next time at Strange Matters Podcast, take it easy, everybody.